My name is Matt Blackwell. I serve as one of our elders here at the church, and I have the distinct privilege of pastoring our Northwest congregation. But I'm excited this morning to be able to get back into Matthew 21. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to flip it open to Matthew 21. We're going to be back in that place. But I want to give you fair warning. As we're opening up to this text, there will be some of you, if you're anything like me, there will be some of you that are going to wrestle with this. And here's why. If you have any sort of issue with authority, then welcome. I am so glad that you're here today. Uh, and God has a sense of humor in giving me this particular passage because I put myself squarely in that camp, asking questions about uh, authority. Who gets to set the pace? Who gets to say, set the rules? Who gets to say, this is true and this is false? This is worthy of celebrating. This is worthy of condemning. And so we're going to wrestle with that in Matthew 21. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you of the timeline because we're walking through this text over the course of weeks, months, and years. But in Matthew 21, it happens in a relatively short amount of time. So if you remember on the timeline, just two days before what happens in our text today was what we call the triumphal entry. And so Jesus came into town riding on a donkey and the people are freaking out. They're celebrating. They're throwing palm branches and jackets and, and saying, yes, the king has come. And so they're cheering on Jesus. Just yesterday on the timeline, Jesus rolled into the temple like a hurricane and he just wrecked shop, right? He's tossing tables. He's making a whip. He's driving everybody out of that, that particular part of the temple. That was yesterday morning. This morning in the timeline, Jesus cursed that poor little fig tree. He cursed that tree on his way back to the temple. And so we have a king on a donkey. We have the savior flipping tables and making whips and driving people out and cursing trees. And, and I wonder if there's any part of us that says, man, I, I kind of wrestle with this version of Jesus. I kind of wrestle. See, I like the Jesus that's like, feeding the hungry and, and talking about love and, and all of those wonderful things that Jesus does. But, but we have to have the fullness of who Jesus is. We don't have the prerogative to sort of take scissors to the New Testament and, and clip out the verses that we like about Jesus and sort of make a collage of the Jesus that we like rather than worship the Jesus who is. We like to create sort of this Frankensteinian version of Jesus where we, we put all these pieces together and say, that's the one that I like. But, but there's a, there is a, a Jesus who is, and today, like the religious leaders of his day, we're gonna smack into full speed ahead the brick wall of the authority of Jesus. And that's where we'll find ourselves today. So buckle up. We're excited for that. We're gonna jump in Matthew 21. Let's start in verse 23. It says, and when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? So here's Jesus. He's back in the temple. Remember, just yesterday, this is the very same spot, the, the court of Gentiles. Just yesterday, this was the spot that he turned tables and drove everybody out. Now it's cleansed. So he's back in that same place and he's teaching and mid-sermon, did you notice that? These guys, the chief priests and elders come up to him while he was teaching. They Mid-sermon, they interrupt him. They say, hey, hey, Jesus, what gives you the right? Who do you think you are? By what authority are you doing these things? Right, you have no formal education. 
You have no official authorization. You didn't get a, a, a permit to cleanse the temple. Uh, the best that we can tell, who do you think you are? Why in the world is this unordained carpenter, carpenter from small town nowhere making such a nuisance of himself? And so they come and they ask him the question, who gave you this authority? Now, we have to recognize that this question is gonna be loaded with sort of political, social, theological dynamite. Because if Jesus says the authority comes from my prerogative as a political king, remember the triumphal entry? If he says, because I am a king, that's the authority that I have. Well, that's certainly gonna raise the ire of the Roman government of the day. But if he answers my authority comes from the fact that I have a divine prerogative as the son of God before his time, before what happens in the upcoming days, well, that's certainly gonna raise all sorts of theological questions and fury from all the people that already think he's a heretic anyway. And so it's, it's a question with a fuse and they light it. But Jesus, I love this, he masterfully answers their question with a question. Watch this, verse 24. And Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I'll also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And so Jesus is brilliant. Like a lot of times we think of Jesus as, uh, as a wonderful man, but Jesus is a brilliant teacher, a brilliant communicator. And so he skirts their trap and lays one of his own all within uh, a, a moment. And so he lays a trap for them uh, and says, the baptism of John, from where did it come? And so for you and I, we're going, wait. So he was asked about authority. By what authority do you do these things? And Jesus answers it by saying, what about the baptism? And they're like scratching their heads, like, what are we talking about? So if you remember all the way back in Matthew chapter three, was that scene of the baptism of Jesus when John the Baptist baptized him. And, and we're preaching through the book of Matthew and I recognize it's been a little while since we've been in Matthew three. So I actually went back and looked. So I preached the baptism of Jesus, Matthew chapter three in the summer of 2018, which was pre-COVID. And I recognize it might as well have been the summer of 1918 because everything that happened before COVID, we're like, was that a year ago or a month ago? I have no idea. So let me just bring you back up to speed on what happened in Matthew chapter three at the baptism of Jesus. If you remember, there is this eccentric cousin of Jesus named John. He was out and he was baptizing. He had the, uh, the camel hair and uh, had the OG paleo diet, right? Locusts and honey, and he's out there baptizing people. And, and Jesus comes to him to be baptized. Uh, John was a voice in the wilderness who baptizes the word made flesh. And so Jesus comes to him to be baptized. And, and if you're watching, if you're looking at the sort of the gospel narratives, all four of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record the baptism. Only two of the gospel writers record the incarnation. Like two of them skip Christmas, but they all talk about baptism. This moment is crucial in understanding the life and ministry of Jesus. So let me read it to you. This is just a couple of verses, Matthew chapter three, starting verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. 
And so at the baptism of Jesus, the heavens open and the spirit descends and the father affirms in that moment. This is only one of two occasions that we have in the Bible where we see the Trinity on display at the same time. The first is in creation where the father and the son and the spirit are creating all that exists. And at the baptism of Jesus, we see the Father and the Son and the Spirit recreating, restoring that which has been broken from from the fall. They're restoring. That's why this moment is so crucial. It is a rebirth and a recreation. And so Jesus says, you wanna know by what authority I do these things? Tell me about the baptism. He's pointing back to that moment because that's the moment that the spirit descends. That's the moment that the father affirms. He said, you wanna know by what authority I do these things? Tell me, was that of God or is it just of man? And they say, we don't know. Watch this, verse 25. And they discussed it among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then do you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And so Jesus sort of traps them in this catch 22. Uh, If they say that moment that Jesus was baptized, that the spirit came and the father affirmed, if they'd say that was of God, then Jesus would obviously say, well, then why are you asking me all the questions about my authority? I think it's pretty clear. But if they say, well, that wasn't of God, that was of man, then the people are gonna revolt because they think that John is a prophet. And so they step back agnostically and say, well, who can really know? We don't know. We're not sure what happened there. And I love that Jesus does this. He simply turns this question to say, where does authority come from? Does authority come from God or does authority come from man? And what I love about that is that this is not just a a first century question that maybe priests and elders are asking in the temple. This is an extremely contemporary question for us today. Where does authority truly come from? Now, if we were really pressed on this and we say, where does authority come from, from God or from man? I think we might answer in a couple of different ways. I think if we're really pressed, we would say, well, I think authority at some level comes from me. It comes from inside comes from me as an individual. And what I mean by that is I think culturally we would say something along the lines of, well, I determine what is true and what is right as an individual. Now, to be fair, the Bible talks about self-control. It talks about personal responsibility, that I have some responsibilities for who I am and how I act and how I treat people and what I say. But here's the rub is that when personal responsibility is confused for authoritative autonomy, we move into personal deity. Let me say that again. When, when, we, when we confuse personal responsibility for authoritative autonomy is when we move into personal deity. And that's the culture that we're swimming in right now in sort of a secular humanism that says, I am the one who determines what is true. How do I feel about something? That, that's the determiner, that's the authority. My feelings trump everything else. And if I feel like this is true, then it is true. 
You feel that? Some of us are like, yeah, I feel that. Some of us are like, I'm really angry right now. I get it. We don't like authority. As a matter of fact, all the music that we love, the, the, the movies that we love, it's all about throwing authority off. We don't wanna be told what to do. We don't wanna be told how to live. We don't wanna be told how fast to drive. Although that one we probably ought to really consider uh, just driving over here today. Let's, let's, uh, let's all be on the same page about that one. Man, but we don't want authority over us. We wanna be the boss of us and we want our feelings to be able to determine that which is true. But here's the problem. When, when we mistake responsibility for our own autonomy and we begin to live as personal deities, the, the, the feelings that we have about what is true begin to shift all the time. Our feelings are changing all the time. And so therefore, if we're defining truth and authority based on my feelings, that means truth and authority is changing all the time. We decouple from the anchor of what is truly authority. And now we're saying my feelings determine what is true. So if I feel a certain way one day and one day I feel a different way, then truth is all over the, all over the place. And so we're sort of in this seasick moment of morality. How do we even know what's, what's true? How do we even know what's moral? We feel sort of spinning and dizzy and confused to even say, I don't know. And then you add on top of that, you live in a world with 7.6 billion other people. And you live most likely in a country of 330 million other people. And if you're in Austin, you live in a, a city of uh, about 2 million people. And maybe you have some roommates or maybe you have some family and, and you're in, a, in an apartment or a home with some other people. And if your authority and your autonomy runs into someone else's authority and their autonomy, all of a sudden sparks begin to fly. Who's really in charge? And we find ourselves beginning to say, who's really in charge just becomes the loudest the strongest, the wealthiest, the meanest, that's where authority begins to, to, to find itself. And so one area is we say, where does authority come from? We say from us, but that doesn't feel like it's a good answer. So we say uh, from, from the collective us. And so we say, well, authority must then come from a, a group of people, not just an individual. And again, to some degree, that, that's true. We give authority to certain groups. Like a teacher in a classroom has particular authority over his or her domain. Or police in a city have a particular authority over the city limits. A judge has a particular authority over a jurisdiction. An elder in a church has been given a, a certain authority to maintain doctrinal uh, rightness in that particular congregation. But the challenge is this, is that even though a lot of people agree about what authority is, doesn't ultimately make that legitimate authority. Doesn't ultimately say that that is ultimate authority. Just because you have a majority doesn't mean you have an authority. Just because a lot of people agree about something doesn't make that thing true. You say, well, have you been on social media? A lot of people agree about some stuff that must mean that it's true. Don't believe everything you see on social media. We, we become addicted to our likes, our thumbs up or our thumbs down because we then can say, hey, look, I put out an opinion. Look at all of these people that think I'm right. Therefore, I must be right. Therefore, I must be an authority. Therefore, I must be somebody important. And so we collectively kind of put all of our authority saying, okay, if we all agree about something, that's where authority comes. Until you read the Bible and you get to Genesis chapter 11. And you remember in that scene of the Tower of Babel where all the people agree 
And they all come together and they say, we're gonna build a great city and we're gonna build a great tower and our tower's gonna reach to the heavens wide so that we might build a great name for ourselves. And God says, nope, no, that, that's not happening. So just because they had a majority doesn't mean that they had the authority. God holds the authority. And so these different groups of people kind of coming together, and this is what we see in Matthew 21 is these different groups of people coming together with differing opinions, but they have one opinion about Jesus that he needs to be silenced. And so all these groups come to Jesus and they're trying to silence him. So if you're reading Matthew 21, you and I might be reading it and we see uh, this group of people called the Pharisees. There's a group of people called the elders. There's another group called the scribes, another group called the priests. And we sort of just lump them all together. At least I do. When I'm reading that, I'm like, well, those are all probably the same people. But Matthew is writing that and they're very different groups. These, these different groups all have sort of an area of authority that they're responsible for. And Jesus is wrecking shop on all of their authority. And so the elders, those were the judges of the day. The elders were the judges. They enforced the religious laws. That was their jurisdiction. Particularly, they had jurisdiction over what happened in the temple. So if something happened in the temple that wasn't supposed to, they were the ones that would kick somebody out. So yesterday, Jesus came in and he turned some tables in there. It's gonna make them a little upset. So the elders come, the scribes. The scribes were the lawyers of the day. They spent time studying the law, knowing the law, being experts in the law. And Jesus came in and he teaches with authority. And remember the people say, man, Jesus teaches with authority, not like the scribes. Yeah, that one would sting a little bit. If you're a scribe, it's probably gonna, it's probably gonna hurt. And then you have the priests, that was the clergy, like the ministers, they're responsible for making sure worship was orderly in the temple. And just yesterday, there's all these kids, Jesus is doing all these amazing things and there's this group of kids in the kids ministry of the temple. And they start making up songs about Jesus. They're singing hallelujah and hosanna to Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, that seems about right. And it freaks out the priest and they go, hey, don't you know that these kids are singing praise songs to you? And Jesus is like, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And they say, no, that's terrible. And they become indignant. And so they're kind of upset. So Jesus is tossing tables. He's making the elders mad. He's teaching with authority. He's making the scribes mad. He's, he's receiving the praises of kids. He's making the priests mad. Everybody's mad at Jesus. Everybody has some issues with authority. And so what do they do? They pull their power together. They sway popular opinion about who Jesus is. They flex their muscle. They abuse their authority. And by Friday of this week, Jesus is crucified. That's how they use their authority. They say, we're in charge here. We have the majority opinion, so therefore we have the authority. What we say goes, except not so much. The majority doesn't create authority. Authority comes from God himself. The Bible's pretty clear about that. Romans chapter 13, verse one says this, for there's no authority except from God. Pretty clear. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Again, pretty clear. He, he's, he's saying all authority that exists is his. He has all of, it, all of the authority because he created all things. 
The creator has the authority to make the rules to say what is good and bad and true and false and worthy of celebrating and condemning. Jesus has that authority as the author. Now, the word authority comes obviously from the root word author, which means of the original. And so the author of a story has the prerogative to write the story as he or she sees fit. So if an author is writing a story and she wants it to go a particular way, she has the authority to make the characters go that direction. And we're told in Acts chapter three, verse 15, that Jesus is the author of life. So he has the authority. That's why anytime that Jesus shows up on the scene, people are shocked by him. You notice that? You're reading through the gospels and they're shocked not by his love, although he's loving, not by his kindness, although he's kind, not by his power, although he's powerful. Continually, they're shocked by his authority. Matthew chapter seven, verse 28. The crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Matthew chapter nine, verse six. The son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Matthew chapter nine, verse eight. When the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Luke chapter four, verse 35, they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. So Jesus was acting like he runs this place. Jesus was acting like he built this temple. Jesus was commanding creation and they obeyed. Jesus curses a tree and it withers. He commands an unclean spirit and it flees. Jesus says a word and it happens. He says light and light exists. He says, be still and thunder is silent. Jesus has the authority and the people were astonished and the kids were praising and the religious leaders were indignant and they're demanding answers to their questions. Who in the world do you think you are? By what authority do you do these things? And Jesus said, remember the baptism? The spirit descended, the father affirmed, that's the authority that I have. And they, they, they don't know how to answer. And so Jesus says, well, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, if I'm Jesus, I'm taking that opportunity. They say, who do you think you are? If I'm Jesus, I'm going, all right, here we go. Uh, I'm gonna finally have the opportunity to tell these guys off. We've been battling, we've been arguing. Uh, I'm gonna say, here's the answer to your question. Uh, here's the authority that I have. I'm gonna lay it out. I'm gonna finally put them in their place. That's not what Jesus does at all. Remember, this is a Tuesday. By Friday of this very week, the, the fact is, is that these guys think they get their way. By Friday, Jesus would be dead. By Friday, they'll have flexed their authority. By Friday, they'll have pooled their power together. By Friday, they would have thought, oh man, finally we've silenced this, this nuisance. And that happens for a little while, but that all changes on Sunday. Because on Sunday, Jesus finally shows the world by what authority he does these things. See, by Sunday, something happens 
And not only is he, has he gone to the, to the cross, now he's raised from the dead. By Sunday, he says, you wanna know by what authority I do these things? How I've conquered sin and Satan and death and the grave. That's the authority that I have. I've come up from the grave. That, that is the, the power that I have. I'm the king of all kings. I'm the Lord of all lords. That is the authority that I have. And he speaks it out and says, this is the reality. He didn't say it on Tuesday. He showed him on Sunday what authority he ultimately has. And these guys, they tried to silence him, but Jesus is the word made flesh. You can't silence the word. They tried to marginalize him, but he's the center of the universe. You can't put him in a corner. They tried to trap him theologically, but he is theos in the word theology. He is in charge. He's in control. And we wrestle with that, but we also wrestle and rejoice in this, is that how does Jesus use his authority? The religious leaders, man, they use their authority to flex their muscle, to put Jesus to death, to silence him, to show their own power, their own strength. And Jesus uses his authority to set you free. Jesus uses his authority to conquer death. Jesus used his authority to forgive your sin. That's the authority that Jesus has. That's what we get to rejoice in. And not only does he do that, but after the resurrection, he, he has his authority and then he gives it to you. Church, he gives his authority to you. That's what we see in Matthew 28. Remember, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus has all the authority and he gives it to you, church, so that you might go forth, not lording it over people, not crushing people, not making them feel terrible and guilty, but that they too might see the one who controls all things that you might make disciples. He said, that's how he's using his authority. All right. You say, well, okay, well, how in the world do I apply this today on Sunday going out from here. I just wanna, I'll close with this, just sort of a, a diagnostic for you to wrestle with. You don't have to share it with anybody, just between you and the Lord. How do you answer this question? Is there an area in your life right now that you're unwilling to submit to the authority of God? Is there some area in your life right now that you say, God, that one's mine. You can have all of this other stuff but this area, I have authoritative autonomy. This, this is mine. And what happens is, is that when we do that, when we pull it back, we, we sort of, we play these games with God. Like we pretend like we don't really hear him. We're like, I kind of know that God would not have me do that or that he would have me do that. But we pretend like we don't hear him and we get really busy. So busy that we don't pause long enough to actually let the spirit of God do some work. Well, my hope is that that you don't busy your minds and start thinking about something else, but that you let the spirit of God just do some work and bring to mind that area of your life. One of the other games that we play with God is what the religious leaders did. They, they heard him. They just pretended like they didn't understand him. Jesus says, where does authority come from? And they say, well, we don't know. They pretended like they didn't understand what he was saying because they didn't wanna to submit to the authority that Jesus had. They, they feigned ignorance because they wanted to delay obedience. Been there ever? Been, been in that spot where you're like, who can really know what God wants? 
Who can really know what the Bible says about this? And so we become sort of agnostic when it becomes time to be obedient. And God's saying, go, and we say, no. We pull a Jonah. When God says, stay, and when then we leave, he says, hey, I, I've told you where to go. I've told you what to do. When God says sin, and we say, that's, that's our savior. And we run to those things and we wonder why we find ourselves so frustrated with his authority because we're not obeying it. We're not finding freedom in it that it was designed to give us. And so church, we recognize this, that Jesus has all the authority. He has the authority to make the rules, to say what's true, to say what's false, to say what we should celebrate, what we should condemn. He's the one who has all authority. He speaks a word and the waves obey and the wind obeys. He speaks a word and, and the storm stops. He speaks a word uh, and the tree, the, the, the fig tree obeys him. He speaks a word and unclean spirits obey him. He speaks a word and demons obey him. He speaks a word and death itself obeys him. And the question that we're left with when he speaks a word this morning, church, do you, do you obey him? Or will you pretend like you didn't hear him? Will you pretend like the religious leaders that you didn't understand him and continue to walk and demand answers of Jesus and say, who, are, who do you think you are? And he says, you know who I am? I'm the one who is baptized, who has the affirmation of the father. You know who I am? I'm the one who went to the cross to die for your sins. You know who I am? I'm the one who's risen from the dead and who has all authority. And we say, we wanna honor that, we wanna obey that, we wanna live in that, we wanna humble ourselves as we run into the brick wall of the authority of God to stop banging our head against it like the religious leaders and finally humbly say, God, you're in control. And we can celebrate that. Like the apostle Paul in Philippians chapter two, he encourages the church, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Lord, we trust you. We thank you for your word. I pray for my friends. I pray for myself as we are confronted by your word. Lord, I pray and I hope that we don't continually just bang our heads against the wall of your authority, but that we find a, a humility in authority. We find a freedom in your authority over our lives and we trust you. And so Lord, we ask that you would continue to lead us that you would lead our lives, that you would lead this church, that you would receive the glory do your name and that we would find tremendous freedom and joy in submitting to that which you've called us to be, that which you've called us to do, and that we would go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because you have all authority in heaven and on earth and that's what you've used your authority to call us to do. So send us out. Let us live for your glory under your authority and our joy. And we pray that in Christ's name, amen.